Hi, and welcome back to season three of The Notch Showcast, the podcast where we sit down with artists and screen producers to talk about their creative process. In this episode, we find out how Algorithm Studio used motion capture to create an intimate music video during the peak of social distancing conditions. Faced with a national lockdown and limited time, creative director Kev Freeney and designer Dylan O'Sullivan played into the remote nature of things to create Pound the Pavement. The video was produced using a hybrid offline real-time workflow, exploring the offline capabilities of the Neutom motion capture suits, combined with Notch for VFX and rendering. Join us as we break down Algorithm's hybrid workflow. I'm Kat Kemsley and this is The Notch Showcast. Today I'm joined by Kev Freeney and Dylan O'Sullivan from Algorithm. Hi Kev, hi Dylan, welcome to Showcast. Hey Kev, hey, how thanks are for you? having us. Hi, so how's lockdown been treating you guys? It's interesting. We have 15 people in our studio here and thankfully there has been some projects, longer form projects that have been keeping us busy and we've been using the downtime to do a lot of internal R&D and look at processes and discovering new tech. And this video that we made for the Blizzards called Panda Pavement was one of those projects that we did while in isolation. And Kev, you're a creative director at Algorithm. Tell us a bit about yourself. How did you get into creative direction? It was um, a long process and something that I didn't really, you know, when you look at creative directors, you don't really study creative direction. It took me many years to realize that the skills that I was learning in terms of doing like live VJ sets were also very compatible for like editing. It was quite natural for me to start documenting the work that Algorithm was doing. And over years of doing that, being able to create a framework to communicate not just the studio's ambitions, but what we had done in the past as well. I just, I'm just really into it. I'm just really into like whatever, what everyone's doing. And it's, it's amazing just to stay on top of all the things that is possible in the studio right now. And then when going into a meeting to know that, you know, I'm not talking at my arse, you know, there's a good level of understanding in terms of what is capable in the studio and where we want to go. Yeah. And Dylan, am I right in thinking you also have a background in VJing? Yeah. So that's actually how I know Kevin. I think maybe four or five years ago, I was um, attempting to operate a like pretty dodgy projection mapping show in um, a club around the corner from our studio. And I was really frustrated because it wasn't going the way it was supposed to go. And so then this strange dude walked up and was like, hey, man, you're doing some cool visual stuff. And I was like, leave me alone. Get away. Get away. And then um, he handed me a card and I was like, oh, I'll fold this up and throw it away. And uh Next day, I woke up and looked at it, and I was like, oh, man, I should probably have been more polite to that dude. <laughs> so I gave him an email, like a slightly groveling um, email, saying, hey, man, sorry, I was a little upset at the time. Can we maybe meet up for a coffee or something? Is VJing kind of how you got into creative coding and design? Yeah, I think there was like an, there's an element of programming in VJing, and I probably wouldn't have called it that at the time. But... Um, so much of the joy of it for me was like setting up my control surfaces and kind of visualizing what direction I wanted the show to go and then thinking what's the most efficient way I can actually uh, bring it there. Like I only have two hands, I only have one cheap MIDI controller, how do I make it do more? Yeah, definitely uh, VJing was the road into programming and then after picking up processing and starting to look at GL and 
just kind of spiraled from there. And how did that kind of morph into getting into motion, motion graphics and animation? Uh, so Al- Algorithm started off as a, a collection of animators, artists and producers. And while we were using Cinema 4D for a long time, I just kept on hearing about Notch and reading about it so much. And then we took the plunge, Dylan and I, and we went to NotchCon in London. And it was interesting because we were there more as an R&D mission for anything. We hadn't actually used the software that much or for that many projects. And since then, and since using it, we've actually won a number of awards, uh, thanks to the Notch software for installations that we've done for the likes of Guinness. Uh, it's on the Notch website and for a launch of an Ed Sheeran album here in, D- in Dublin as well. It's all you guys, really. It's all you guys, really. <laughs> <laughs> like the creative ideas behind it. Cool. And, and today we're going to discuss your workflow for Pound the Pavement, which was a music video you created for the Blizzards. So I know you guys love to experiment and this video has definitely definitely been an experiment in how you can create intimate interactions in the peak of social distancing and I think you guys really achieved that uh, with this video. What what was your relationship with the Blizzards? Had you guys worked together before? No we had never worked before and they recently just got a new manager called Brendan and he had seen a video that we had put out uh, for another band called Thumper and that started the conversation with us about what could be possible and where the band was going this year. And this was all pre-COVID. So the the original idea was going to be a live in-camera shoot. But then that got us talking about what could we do in isolation. And I had wanted to experiment with a mocap suit for years. And this kind of seemed like a great opportunity. And when we were at NotchCon, we saw the Perception Neuron booth and Dylan and I were like, oh, this is working way better than we thought it would. So maybe a little bit naive in regards to how easy we thought it would be. (laughs) This was, of course, the first time any of us had tried to do a full production from isolation as well. So there was kind of, there's two parts to the video. One is the story of two characters, and they're meant to symbolize the distance that people were feeling at the time, but also they're meant to be a representation of how technology is bringing people together right now. Uh, and that's that story of falling in love, I guess, through a digital way. And then the other side of the video is more of a band performance. And that that was really interesting because we had to send the mocap suit to each band member individually in their home. And over Zoom, I had to direct them. And then I was using TeamViewer to actually control the computer remotely as well and do all the mocap data setup and the mocap data recordings from another location and to our surprise it all worked that was the big thing amazing and the video description describes pound the pavement as a song about taking control back when you think you've lost it and the song projects a message of hope grit and determination to overcome the challenges that we're all facing today was this kind of at the core of your brief yeah, there's, I've always taken a little bit of an approach of happy accidents with uh, videos. And it was very much kind of about like facilitating an environment where things can happen and things can unfold. Obviously, with a clear delivery in mind, but Pan the Pavement was definitely a project that mutated and changed a number of times throughout its production. What's interesting with videos like this is when working with real time, you can always make it different or you can always keep adding elements to it. It's just about the time frame that you have and 
I don't know if any other designers have re- faced the reality that nearly everything takes twice as long when working in isolation and especially trying to, um, you know, we had three people working on this in different locations and the band being in different locations too. There was a lot of time in terms of just getting data and information sent from one location to another. Yeah, that is yeah. The, that's a big struggle that I've definitely noticed is the transfer of data because everyone's streaming Netflix and using their home internet just seems to put so much weight on the system that it it takes so much longer and that definitely yeah is a massive challenge I think working remotely you mentioned that it evolved as a project so had you guys designed the characters so did the performers kind of know that they would be these particle skeletons by the end of it or did you record the data and then kind of figure that out the characters are based on the album artwork that the band had the album artwork was a series of i think mri scans of the band's brains and these looked like these different colorful tendrils so what we wanted to do was make characters based on those scans so that was the first jumping off point and then that got us thinking about like the nervous system and dylan made an artistic interpretation of that and that was part of the character and we were looking at loads of different references from the likes of Venom and Spider-Man all the way up to um, the works of Alex Gray. So there's a, a, a huge um, area of references or influences that we were pulling from there. What really impressed me about Dylan's role in this project was I had a bunch of images and then he went away and started working on this. And what he came back with was the character that you saw in the video there. And it, it just really blew me away that it took it to, he took it to a whole new level. And so getting into the design of the animation, the bodies in, in the video, they're made up of particle systems, but they have a, a skeleton made out of particles as well, running through the bodies, which gives them a really nice structure. How did you create this look? It was pretty hard to like get a really good definition on a mesh just from a particle emitter. Um, especially if you want those particles to be moving, because like obviously we can stick the particles onto the mesh and then it looks really defined, but then there's very little motion that they can have. So the nervous system, as well as making sense in the story, I think also where it originally came from was just we need to make these forms obvious. Yeah, obviously contrast is kind of key there, so if we can sort of illuminate them from within with these really um, well-defined shapes where the particles really can be stuck on, and that'll sort of help guide your eye as to what pose the person's in in that shot. So then how to make them? I got a biology textbook drawing of uh, somebody standing in a T-pose on their nervous system and just traced over that with splines in cinema. And I think I just like auto-rigged them. I don't I don't know how to rig things the right way, so I must have done. Um, <laughs> and then exported those as FBXs. And just did this, the exact same thing that we'd done with the skin then uh, in Notch. Um, so just brought them in, connected them to mesh emitters, and um, had the particles quite firmly stuck on, so they retained their shape pretty well. They do look really defined and crisp, but they, you've also managed to create some brilliant long cascading particle trails off the bodies, which adds a real sense of, of movement and energy. And I really liked actually about that was having collision on them and having them fall on the floor because there was a conversation about like, you know, what space are these characters in and do we, do we need to represent that space in some way? Like how, mm. how does the viewer know what angle they're looking at this person from? Is the person on their side or is the camera on its side or, or what's happening there? But we found just having um, collision with the floor and leaving these kind of longer trails 
as they hit the floor, they give you a reference that becomes your ground plane when you're watching it. That's you know? really interesting. Yeah, because I was trying to figure out how, because when I was watching it, I thought, okay, they're in an entirely black environment. So you, your focus is on, on the characters in there. I can sense space. And I wasn't sure when I was watching it, I was like, is it the way the cameras are moving? But I think maybe subconsciously, the subtlety of having collision on on the floor as those particles hit would have established that as well. I think so, yeah. And the floor is actually transparent. It was one of the light bulb moments that wasn't uh, didn't involve any pulling out of my hair. Was just putting on this ground plane, making it transparent. It didn't matter if the feet really landed at zero because they would still splash at zero and leave those footprints or trails behind. So that was like kind of a way of n- of not really having to tidy up those parts of the data too much in some scenes while still being able to compensate for it. Yeah, it's a great creative solution to that, to, to the problem with the, you know, sometimes the feet not hitting zero. And when I've worked with motion capture in the past, I've always had trouble getting the accurate data on the feet. Um, but you've really managed to to get this down. Have you got any advice on how to achieve this, how to effectively achieve this? <laughs> Take your time. That was the big thing. Like the calibration of the sensors was so important and the location that we were doing it in. Like, thankfully, we had really nice weather, so we were able to do it outdoors. Um, Take after take, I think in the actual final video, you're only actually seeing one or two steps uh, and that we're doing it from different angles. And to, I would would actually say that you'd want to be able to have an animator on your team to do cleanup. And the cleanup actually did take a little bit longer than we anticipated. Primarily because you're you're moving from this real time production into like an offline render. You know, you're you're making a video, so you can't be as forgiving as um, at an event where if it goes a little bit haywire, it's fine. It's happening in real time. You're never going to see it again. The show goes on. But when you're using like real time means of production to create a video, it needs to be, it needs to be perfect. And and that key uh, cleanup process is kind of keyframe by keyframe, making those fixes as well. Um, and I love I love the camera angles and the and the animated camera moves that you've got in there. Yeah, what's really interesting and uh, what we learned from like the perspective from the perspective of real time and how these suits are are made to be plugged in to notch straight away. I mean, there's amazing power there, but that wasn't really the process that we were doing. We we're kind of doing a mix of real time and video production and animation production all at once, which kind of made it a bit difficult for us. But what we were attempting to do get as clean data as possible from the mocap recordings, turn that into FPX data and Cinema 4D, and then we created all the camera moves in Cinema 4D as well, and also used like a system of uh, distance between nulls to create a, a variable parameter for like the focus as well. So that was all then brought into Notch, um, and that actually worked quite well. The way it was just able to drag and drop the FPX data in was incredible. Um, so what's interesting is you're using a real-time piece of software to create like an offline render, like a video. So there was benefits to that, but definitely challenges. It was like very late on the last night before the delivery. Dylan and I were pulling a, an all-nighter to get it across the line and really getting into making sure it looked the best way it could, making sure all the particles were coming at the right time. And we're like, all right, we want this to bake. We were thinking, let's do a 4K, 60 FPS, let's really go for it. And uh, this is kind of a funny thing, but we we went through every single cut and we were like, okay, so at one minute, seven seconds, we have a close up of the singer and that's like three seconds long. So let's go to one minute, seven seconds in the notch file and render it out. 
And we did that for like half the video. So we had all these different cuts. But we never thought of the fact that it's a real-time particle system. So for every single cut that we had at the start of every take, there was no particles. The particles we didn't pre-roll like... them, yeah. We, we should have done that. Yeah. That would have been really good. Uh, that would have helped. Oh, man. We would have gone to bed a lot earlier that day if we had done that. Uh, it was really, really late. And we, we'd kind of done our maths and we were like, okay, if we render the whole thing from every camera, we're looking at finishing the render mm. maybe 7 a.m., then we decided, okay, well, what if we cut it up into the chunks, do the maths again, and it was like, oh, well, then we're finished at uh, 3 or 4 a.m., that's much better, so let's do that. And we were just like, at that point, we were like, yeah, we got to gotta press render, it's time. And then only after we discovered, I was like, yes, of course, there's a button in there that I didn't press. <laughs> and uh, But we learned. But that's the thing, we'll that's press the thing it next with time. experimenting with workflows that haven't been done before, is that, you know, that there will be things that you learn I mean, even on productions that you do over and over again, you're always learning. There'll always be something that kind of goes wrong and you're like, oh, wow, okay. Always learning on the job. But especially when you're working with like hardware and then combining like different types of data, different types of software technologies, there's just so such a a wealth of what you can learn from every job. And um, yeah, a lot of things that you kick yourself over because you're like, okay. (laughs) I think that really is a good description of this this process uh certainly from my involvement in it i think like a lot of times people have used the word experimental to describe things that we've worked on or that i've worked on and i felt like it's uh it's a cool word but it's not doing much there you know but in this case i really do feel like this was experimental because we did go in fair play to the blizzards for for letting us do this like uh yeah, go and find out what you can do with this much time, with this technology, in a pandemic where we're not allowed to see each other in person. And uh, it was an experiment, and we got a, a, an experimental result. So I definitely learned so much about kind of just pipeline and how all these different techniques interact with each other. And fortunately, at the end, the band and their management loved it. So it well, kind of great, came yeah. out as a win. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be a win. I think that's part of the conversation as well, though, Kat, is that... You know, this was a video in the end. Like the end result of this was like an offline render, but we're using real time production techniques. So the power of Notch for us and what makes us so excited about is what can be done at an event in real time in front of an audience or even for broadcast. But when like it's even subconsciously as a studio or consciously as well, you start to compare that sort of render to an offline render that might be made in Octane or something like this. And you're just, you know, it's just, it's not the point of this workflow. The workflow was the fact that we were able to make so many changes so quickly and previs what we were doing so quickly with such a small production budget and a short timeline. This video only actually happened because we were using Notch um, to the standard that we were able to do it. It's very exciting to see the techniques that we use to make the video could be directly tra- translated to like a live event scenario. And that's, and be able to use the parameters that we had, like on the drum kit as well, where the particles were jumping to the sound of the kick and everything else. So there's a, the, the amount of inputs that you can put into Notch is like huge, you know? Really interesting. Yeah. Diff- same software, different workflow, depending on the project, basically. What I like about this video is that you've actually included kind of some behind the scenes footage in, in the final product in the final music video so you kind of get a bit of live action at the beginning of unpacking the motion capture suit and then at the end you do see everyone suited up to show that it's you know real live motion capture data and I think it's quite um, important to show that especially for something like a music video because 
I think a lot of people are under the perception that motion capture is actually not accessible to general productions. Um, you know, you always think of, you know, high budget feature films, whereas having a suit like Neutons where it's, you know, electromagnetic and you can charge it and it's, you know, it is affordable. Um, what what advice would you give to someone who's looking to produce a project using motion capture data and motion capture suits? Well, this video is a testament to like the accessibility of mocap in many ways. This is the first time we've ever used a Neutom suit. This is the first time we've ever brought that mocap data into Notch and made a video. So we learned a lot and the advice would just be try it. We definitely felt that the V2 suit was beneficial, and that's the one that we hired, uh, especially because the band were using instruments and we, there was some magnetic interference with the guitars and stuff. So if you're going down like the musician route, the new suit would definitely be more suitable for that. Again, technical suggestions, like I said, the FPS is the right one. Give yourself enough time, feel comfortable in it, don't overexert yourself, don't try and do it all in one day, be able to take time look back on the footage and contemplate it, you know, as any sort of like video production, you'd want to do that as well. But also the big thing about mocap is that if you're doing something like we did, the freedom of perspective is there, you know, because you're creating a figure, you're not, you, the camera doesn't exist yet. You don't need to hire in cranes or mm-hmm. steady cams yeah. or anything like that. You've got complete freedom with your camera moves. Yeah. And you guys really took advantage of that in, in this video. And it's a great crossover in terms of different disciplines too, Kat. You know, like that, like the choreographer had never done motion capture before, but how accessible the suit was meant that we were able to do like a wide range of movement. So I love stuff that like bridges different uh, disciplines in different areas. And that's something that we really wanted to express with this video too. Your dancer was Jana mm-hmm. Kemperman. Had you guys worked together before? Yes, we had um, for for years. Um, had Jana's she my... used a mocap suit before? No, none of us. Okay, had. interesting. So, right, was... oh, right, so, <laughs> so first time for everyone, kind of getting used to the setup of it and what moves uh, are accessible in a mocap suit and stuff like that. He spent a day working with a company called Target 3D who sent a suit over from the UK to us and they gave us a a day of tutorials and a a walkthrough, which is really beneficial. And we also got some notes and hints from Perception Neuron 2, who we had met at NotchCon. So we had a contact with them as well and they were very excited to see what we could do with their equipment. And then it was just a period of um, testing, like three days of different tests. Like there's one scene of two characters running into each other's arms so I think we did like six different versions of the running and falling and seeing how that all could line up. How did you kind of, because it looks like they're hugging, how did you match up their movements? Is it mirrored? Have you mirrored her data and flipped it? or? No, we we did take after take of different hugs, myself and Diana, and um, we just had to like enact and practice it and uh, listen to the song so many times. So all the all the dancing and all the choreography is actually done to the music. And then there was a little bit of tidying up because obviously I'm, I'm a different size to Yana. So when we were doing the mocap data, she was like trying to hug me around my chest rather than the shoulders. So there's a bit of trial and error. Oh, so were you the other the other character at points then in I, the mocap suit? I'm the other character at some points. <gasps> and, um, this is like the big reveal at the end of the <clears throat> podcast. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Um, <laughs> this is a secret. Um, but as you know, the information is about 80% of the way there and the other 20% is like cleaning that up. And one thing we realized uh, 
was to definitely be recording the for longer takes in the mocap data to be recording in a 30 fps and not to be doing it into the likes of 100 or 120 fps we experienced major issues in the cleanup of the higher fps data and uh, that's just like a top tip now for anyone that's listening take note listeners <laughs> this is going to be a toughie as uh, one of my final questions so music video production has really changed drastically in the last 20 years um, from going from having these big elaborate budgets like all the old Missy Elliott videos and now in a world with TikTok where everyone's kind of making video to music what do you think is the importance of having a music video for us there's there's two sides to with this project and I guess like for us it was massively beneficial in terms of like just experimenting you know having such freedom to experiment in a project like this from ideation to like actual editing phase of it but for the band that we made this for, it was huge. You know, they had a, they were kind of having a very good career a few years ago and then took a bit of a hiatus and then they're coming back. And for them, they were able to showcase this video, not just as a way of promoting the music, but they've done a lot of um, charity work in the last few months as well. They've done a lot of work uh, supporting people in, that are working in the industry for the likes of people that do lights or people that are sound engineers, people that work at events. And that this video was kind of like a, a vehicle to help them communicate those messages as well. And a lot of charity work that they did alongside that. So it kind of became bigger of it, in of itself. The future of music videos, in my opinion, is kind of like the cross medium um, way that they could go. And how with, you know, the music industry looking to be very different next year and budgets looking to be very different next year. I think what people are going to experience is far, potentially far less low budget visual setups because money will be going towards musicians because they haven't been had the opportunity to earn for months now. So I think you're going to see people that are going to be holding on to their cash a little bit more. So you're probably going to see less smaller scale visual shows. So I think there's going to be like a bigger integration of, you know, film into like a live audio scenario. And what I'm really interested in is how those productions for live events are translated to online and what the experience is. And if it's like going to be a virtual experience, like a 3D world that you walk around and interact with, um, kind of similar to what Tomorrowland we're doing, or if it's going to be like what Katy Perry did on the it was an American Idol, or is it going to be something that's more traditional, which is like a, a 2D video? So it's, it's very interesting to see what's the crossover there. And I think music videos still have the ability to uh, to be that experimental thing, you know, and that kind of push the boat out and not depend on so many rules and regulations when it comes to traditional filmmaking. Yeah, I, de- I 100% agree with you. Yeah, definitely a space for creative experimentation uh, without some of the conventional rules of, of filmmaking. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this has been great to catch up with you guys about this project. And I'm really glad we got to do this, despite, you know, some earlier technical difficulties. It's been really insightful and definitely kind of made me think about technical workflows and about experimentation, um, especially with motion capture data. So, yeah, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to hop on a call with me. Thanks so much, Kat. It was great. Yeah, thanks for having us. And it's uh, it's really cool how much effort you guys put into it talking to the people who are uh, using your software and yeah i suppose that's not something we see with everybody so that's really cool keep at it oh i don't know whether it's like heating up in here or that i'm just you know maybe feel warm <laughs> but 
Thanks so much, guys, and I'll chat to you soon. Bye now. Yeah. Thanks, Kat. Bye. Bye. You can check out more work from Algorithm by heading over to their website, algorithm.ie, or by following them on Instagram at algorithm.ie or Twitter at algorithm underscore IE. Watch the finished Pound the Pavement music video and read the synopsis of this episode on our website, notch.one forward slash showcase. Show us something awesome you've made using the hashtag madewithnotch to feature on our Instagram and Twitter feeds, which you can find at notchvfx. Next week, we're joined by Tanner Thompson of T2 Studios. He shares how he transported viewers at home to the Lollapalooza Festival and beyond. Here's a little taster of the show. Before COVID, had you produced many virtual shows? Yeah, I mean, this is a new adventure of just kind of trying to fill the gap of what needed to be done versus what we have the capability of doing. My goal was to figure out creative ways of bringing the artist into a production environment without the cost and crazy amounts of people. And it's kind of just what can we do, you know? Thanks for listening.